0: by a remote control
1: Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butty in Washington. Today is Monday, October 10th. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Final results from last Friday's parliamentary elections in Lesotho are expected today, Monday.
2: It's becoming clear now in the results we have that the new kid on the block, RFP, Revolution for Prosperity, led by Sam Matigani, is in the
1: lead. Nigeria's main opposition People's Democratic Party kicks off its 2023 presidential campaign today Monday. At least 10 people are dead and scores more missing after a boat capsizes in southeast Nigeria. Uganda's president marks his country's 60th independence anniversary with a message.
3: East Africa, therefore, should not worry that those Arab people can stop the oil project in East Africa. If any actor... Tries to delay our project. We shall decisively deal with that betrayal according to the relevant laws.
1: We'll get reaction from a four-time Uganda opposition presidential candidate. And Kenya plans to boost the use of electric motorbikes among border-border drivers. Those stories plus Samsung Omale sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. <music> Results from last Friday's Lesotho parliamentary elections are expected today, Monday. A total of 48 political parties and 2,560 candidates, of which 660 were women, participated. According to the Independent Electoral Commission, the country has been troubled by political instability for years because of the frequent changes of government. Leboussin Malipani is the national investigator for Afrobarometer for Lesotho. In its most recent survey taken in July this year, Afrobarometer found that Basotos are not happy with the way their country is being run economically and politically. Malipani tells me that turnout in Friday's election was low and that based on preliminary results, the newly formed Revolution for Prosperity Party, RFP, led by Sam Mattikani, is winning 47 out of 64 constituencies announced so far.
2: The election went well on Friday. It was peaceful. People were upbeat. It looked like the young people were out in their numbers to vote, at least even where I was. There were a lot of young people.
1: How would you describe the turnout on Friday? Would you say it was high, moderate, or low? Looking at the results
2: as they're coming out now, the turnout is quite low. In most of the constituencies, it is actually below 40%. The ones I have here, I think I have results from 62 of the 80 constituencies, and I haven't seen anyone above 50%.
1: What do you attribute to the low turnout?
2: I think I would attribute this low turnout again to the disaffection with democracy and elections, as our survey showed that Basutu do not really think that democracy is working for them. And maybe that is why the actually majority of them would like to see the king come in.
1: We understand the results will be announced today, Monday. There were too many parties, first of all, in the election. Which party do you think is in the lead? It's becoming clear now
2: in the results we have that the new kid on the block, RFP, Revolution for Prosperity, led by Sam Matigani. Is in the lead. Right now, of the 62 constituencies which we've got results for, only 16 constituencies have been won by the other parties 13 by DC, one by AD, one by MEC, and one by NIP.
1: Do you think there's going to be a clear winner, or is there going to be some kind of coalition building to get the next prime minister of uh, Lesotho?
2: We don't know if at the end of the 80 constituencies, Sam Matekan would have gotten more than 60 of those constituencies, we will see. If not, then clearly we'll have to have some kind of agreement with another party to form the majority. But the way it's going now, looks like he just might get over 60 constituencies.
1: Lebusang Malipani is the Afrobarometer's national investigator for Lesotho. She was speaking with us from the capital, Maseru. In Nigeria, the main opposition People's Democratic Party, the PDP, will begin its 2023 presidential campaign today, Monday, in the Akwa Ibom state capital of Oyo. The party will also officially introduce its presidential candidate, Atiku Abubakar, and his running mate, Ifianyi. Okowa. This after the ruling All Progressive Congress APC party postponed the kickoff of its campaign that was also supposed to take place today, Monday. PDP National Publicity Secretary Debo Olugunangba tells me that the party intends to run an issue based campaign. Monday official flag off of the campaign of our party
0: for the general elections in 2023. And, of course, we'll be our candidate, the presidential candidate, as well as his Vice, His Excellency Atiku Awaka, and the founding Ifani Asha Okua, the governor of Texas State. This will be happening in Akwae State, who will the capital. And, at that event, our party will focus on issue-based campaign, and then talk about the credentials of our candidate Atiku Awaka, as a household name, as a brand in Nigeria, as a man with capacity, with experience, and the character required of the presidential
1: candidate. You said that your platform and your campaign is an issue based campaign. One of the issues dominated Nigerian politics and social life lately has been the issue of insecurity. Are you going to address that, and how would you address that?
0: First, that's what I said to you. Number one, for you to have security, you must have unity. Because security is not a one-way affair. It's between the government and the partners between the government and the people. Then, for you to have security, you need information. When people believe that they are part, and they have a stake in the project, and with such information, the government will be able to attend to security challenges. Because Kikwabaka is a unifier who believes in the interest of this country, who believes in fairness, who believes
4: in equality. He has demonstrated that before, and as a party, that is what we appreciate,
0: that we need unity in this country. I mean, you compare that to the government in this country, where you have nepotism, tribalism, in terms of appointment, because we know the issues, we know that when the people are united, and at the sense of belonging, then there's a the partnership. That partnership between the people and the government, we need to a more secure environment, and with more secure environment, there will be foreign investment, businesses will thrive, and that way, we can begin to rebuild our nation.
1: Now, I was just reading a few newspapers in Nigeria. It seems to me some governors have uh, put a restriction on political parties putting up their posters or campaign materials on public facilities. Would this impact the unveiling of your platform? What do you think about this, first of all? We
0: think uh, anything that would stifle political participation will be condemned in any form. However, we know that different states have different agencies of government that regulate the campaign, advertisement, and of course, the government in public places. And of course, they will charge money because they're never free. So we at the party, what we will do is to take and apply a the necessary application
1: and then deal with our situation as we have put that. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure speaking with you. You're welcome. Debo Ologunanba is the National Publicity Secretary of Nigeria's main opposition People's Democratic Party, the PDP. You are speaking with us from Abuja. Local emergency officials in southeastern Nigeria said that 10 people have died and more than 60 are still missing after a boat carrying passengers capsized. Officials said the locally made boat was carrying 85 people who were on their way to a local market when it developed an engine power problem. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja.
5: The Anambra State Emergency Management Agency Saturday evening said 15 people have so far been rescued alive. Officials say the accident occurred around midday Friday in the Obaru local government area when the engine of the boat carrying the passengers failed and caused it to crash into a submerged bridge. Most of the passengers on the boat were market women on their way to work severe flooding had covered the roads in the area forcing residents to move around with boats. Paul Mosu is the Anambra State Commissioner for Information. So when the engine failed, there was not enough, uh,
0: what do you call it, to paddle the canoe to a safe place where they can now begin to troubleshoot over what must have happened to the boat. So, in the process of panic, mi- amidst panic and how to steer the boat to somewhere where people, you know, will be able to help them, the boat slipped under a bridge that has already been submerged.
5: Anambra State is among many Nigerian states reporting heavy flooding that has lasted for months this year. The waters have been sweeping away homes and farmland, damaging crucial infrastructure and causing deaths. Nigeria's National Emergency Agency said more than 300 people have died from flooding since the beginning of the year. Authorities say the flooding is caused by an increase in rainfall and the release of water from Lagdo Dam in Cameroon. In July, 17 bodies were recovered after a boat mishap in Nigeria's commercial centre, Lagos, during a heavy downpour. Authorities also say the huge losses of crops in the flooding could push up food prices in a country where millions are already food insecure. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria.
1: Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America, I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Monday, October 10th. Still to come on our program, Something O'Malley Sports. Uganda's president says his government will not bow to pressure to halt the construction of an oil pipeline as requested by a resolution of the European Parliament. President Yoweri Museveni also says he will do everything in his power to stop the export of raw materials, which he said is a form of neocolonialism. Reporter Mugumi davis Rakariji has more from Kampala.
3: Those jobs are donated by African planners to the outsiders. This is the war I've been fighting here in Uganda for the last almost 62 years. That was Uganda's
6: president, Yoel Museven, speaking on Sunday as Uganda celebrated 60 years of independence. Museven said one of the biggest problems since independence has been the export of raw materials. He said, for example, that Uganda spends $362 million on imported steel and steel products each year which can be manufactured locally. He said his government has been fighting hard to win off the country from a dependency on imported goods. Museven also commented on the resolution by the European Parliament asking for a halt on the construction of the East African crude oil pipeline. The project would transport the fossil fuel from beneath Lake Albert and Action Falls National Park in Uganda, the port of Tanga in Tanzania. Museven said the pipeline, which is backed by the French energy company Total and the China National Offshore Oil Corporation, benefits not only Uganda, but the rest of East Africa as well.
3: We support the pipeline because it contributes something modest to our Tanzanian sisters and brothers who, under Marimu's leadership, contributed so much to Africa, including Uganda, in the anti-colonialism effort. Besides, the pipeline corridor provided by the Tanzanian government will bring to us gas from Tanzania and Mozambique. Last month,
6: the European Parliament passed an emergency resolution asking for a halt in construction a pipeline, which is over 1,400 kilometers long. Environmentalists said the project could harm wildlife, pollute water resources, and displace tens of thousands of people. Scores of banks and insurers are reluctant to back the project. Museven, who has been in power for more than half the post-colonial period, termed the complaints as, in two quotes, arrogance and hegemonism, by elements in the European Union Parliament. He said nothing will
3: stop his government from going ahead with original plans. East Africa, therefore, should not worry about those arrogant people, th- that those arrogant people can stop the oil project in East Africa. If any actor tries to delay our project, we shall decisively deal with that betrayal according to the relevant laws. We shall develop all the aspects. Of the project with willing partners. President Museven said one way to fight
6: neo-colonism is through a regional federation which would boost the market and foster peace and stability. But political activist Nomanitriyuatemba says President Museven should take the advice of the EU in good faith. I don't think the European uh, Union has any interest in, in the oil, but uh, wh- I think they are concerned with these issues that were raised by U- Ugandans. So the best thing would be we go and address these issues. We see how to compensate people. We see how to build a pipeline that will not affect the environment. Uganda 60th independence celebration was attended by region leaders, including South Sudan's President Salva Kiir Mayardit, Evaristan Daishime of Burundi, newly elected Kenyan President William Ruto, among others. For VOA News, I am Mugume Davis Rwakarindi Kampala, Uganda.
1: Ugandans celebrated 60 years of independence on Sunday from Great Britain. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the people of the United States and Uganda have cooperated for the benefit of both their countries, particularly on public and global health. He also said the United States appreciates the role Uganda has played in regional peace and security. However, four-time presidential candidate and current leader of the People's Front for Transition, Dr. Chisa Besigye, says Ugandans have nothing to celebrate. Besigye says the vision of the immediate post independence leaders, which was focused on ending ignorance, poverty, and disease, has not made significant progress. As a result, Besiji tells me that Ugandans are marking 60 years after the end of foreign domination and the beginning of domination of Ugandans by Ugandans. The most
7: obvious and concerning matter as we mark 60 years is that um, it is happening when our country has never had any peaceful change of leadership since independence. Every leader has left office by bombs and whoever has ascended to the highest office in this country has already done so by the use of force. Implicitly means that Ugandans in these entire 60 have no power to remove them from office. And that has huge implications that translate into what Uganda is for. Because even as we celebrate independence, there are many parts of our country that are suffering from hunger and receiving food aid from donors. And so this goes to show that 60 years after independence, the vision of the immediate post-independence leaders, which was focused on ending ignorance, poverty, and disease, has not made significant progress. We can only say we are marking the time when domination ended. Domination by Africans or Ugandans, by Ugandans, continues.
1: What do you say to those who say under President Museveni that uh, Uganda has played a role in the leadership of the East African community?
7: Well, that is uh, definitely not entirely true. As you may know, the East African community was far more advanced in its integration in the 60s than it is today. We had a common currency, the common services, common postal service, common railway service, common airlines, common industrial projects, and so on. None of that is there today. Yes, there has been an effort to revive the East African cooperation. As you know, even until very, very, very recently, borders between mm-hmm. member states have been effectively closed, not just uh, through them being uh, less used by citizens, but completely closed, no passage allowed at all.
1: Dr. Chisa Besigi is the four-time Uganda presidential candidate and currently the leader of the People's Front for Transition. He was speaking with us from the capital, Kampala. Kenya has launched a green economy project that will encourage the adoption of electric motorbikes. The Kenyan Commercial Bank and United Nations Institute for Training and Research are working together to accelerate the use of the vehicles among boda-boda border border or taxi drivers. Operators say the idea is timely
4: as fuel prices are on the rise. Maureen Ojiambal reports. The Green Economy Project, which is scheduled for completion in 2026, could mean significant progress among youths and women entrepreneurs. Pius Masinde is the senior advisor for the United Nations Institute of Training and Research. He explains the aim of the effort in Kenya and East Africa.
3: We are here to launch a
8: project that has been designed to address some of these challenges by promoting the development of a green economy, inclusive, quality education and conflict-sensitive practices among youth and women entrepreneurs. We want to have made a significant progress towards promoting green uh, entrepreneurship.
4: The chief executive officer, Kenya Commercial Bank Group, Paul Russo, says the transition to a green energy... Is inevitable. We want to transition to 25% of the loan portfolio
3: to be green. So this 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 is huge in terms of heading to that direction.
4: The electric motorbike is designed to run just fine in both urban and rural environments following research and developing an ideal electric vehicle for the African market. The motorbike will cost close to 1,800 US dollars, about double the cost of the cheapest ones now available. The chairman of the Border Board Association of Kenya, Kevin Mubadi, says the move will help address the high cost of fuel that most motorcycle riders are experiencing. Reporting for Viewers Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Jumbo in Nairobi, Kenya.
1: It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with results from the CAF Champions League.
8: The second round of preliminary marches in the CAF Champions League got on the way on Friday with Al Merik of Sudan scoring a 2-0 victory over al heli Tripoli of Libya at the El Obeid Stadium. On Saturday, Tanzania's young Africans played a 1 0 draw with Al Hilal Omdurman. ASK Okara lost at home 1 2 to JS Kabili. In other results, ASN Niger Lake of Niger also lost 2 0 at home to Moroccan side Club Athletic. While Angolan club Petro Atletico got an important victory on the road with a 3 0 victory over Cape Town City of South Africa. Now to Gabon, where the president of the National Football League, Bryce Mbika Njambo, has announced that the Gabonese National Division 1 football championship will return to action later this month for the 2022-2023 season. Gabon's top-tier championship has been on break since July 31st when ASO Stad Manji defeated Union Sportive or Bittam to emerge champions. The 2022-2023 campaign is expected to end in June with a break in November, the date for the kickoff of the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Staying with football news, French superstar striker Kylian Mbappe will earn a record $128 million in annual earnings to top the list of the world's highest paid football players according to a report by Forbes magazine. Mbappe signed a three-year contract extension in May to remain with dominant League One side Paris Saint-Germain. Forbes reported the deal will bring Mbappe about $110 million for his salary and season share of a signing bonus plan. and estimated $18 million in annual endorsement income In basketball news, Democratic Republic of Congo Clubs, CNSS and BC Makomeno will make the short journey to Cameroon for the FIBA Zone 4 Women's Club Championship scheduled for the 11th to the 16th of October in Cameroon. The Congolese clubs will do battle against Cameroonian teams, Overdose Upstation, who are the champions of their national competition, and University de Douala, who finished in second place. A stake is an opportunity to compete in the FIBA Africa Championships Cup. Women, which will take place in Mozambique in December. In rugby news, the ninth women's rugby world cup kicked off in front of a world record audience at the Auckland's Eden Park in New Zealand on Saturday. In the opening match of the tournament, South African women's buck failed to secure a victory. France, ranked number four in the world, beat South Africa ranked number 11, 40 to 5. Finally, in tennis news, Tennis World number 2, Ons Jabeur failed in her beat to land the first ever WTA tournament to be held in her homeland of Tunisia when she lost 6-3, 4-6, 6-4 to American Claire Lou. And that's it on Daybreak African Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja,
1: Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, October 10th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for starting your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I am James Butte in Washington wishing you...